Good morning. I would like to take us to the book of Psalms, chapter 2. I believe in the difficult times we have encountered over recent months, political upheaval along with the pandemic, and for many, economic hardship, illness, and grief. Bible readers and Bible students have spent more time in the Old Testament book of Psalms. It seems almost like it was written for such a time as this. And I want to take us to one of those passages today. Be ready with me, please, in Psalms chapter 2. Listen carefully. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, and his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In the English translations of the Bible, it is interesting the book of Psalms is approximately near or at the very center of the printed text. I mean, if you close your Bible and then open the book to the middle, it is very possible it will open to the book of Psalms. Now, this depends on what else is packed in your Bible, concordances and study notes and maps, but generally... When you open up a Bible at the middle, you will open to Psalms or near Psalms. Now, this may seem to be trivial, but there is a happy coincidence here because there are truths in the book of Psalms which ought to be at the very center of what we believe and how we live and how we respond to turmoil. Truths about God Truths about man, about sin, about temptation, truths having to do with character in the future. I would urge you to read over and over again the second psalm. And one way to study this is there are four scenes, four scenes or four sections in this chapter. Let me go through those with you. The first scene is in verses 1 through 3, and it describes rebellion on earth. Look at your Bible, please. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That first scene describes rebellion on earth. Why do the nations rage 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This scene depicts the rebellion of men, the vain plotting and planning of men, not just with an absence of God, but direct rebellion against him. It is one thing to live your life and join with others on earth completely ignoring God. That's bad. But this goes beyond that. Notice the accumulated words and phrases stacked one upon the other here. Rage, plot, set themselves, taking counsel. The scene is human rebellion on earth, not just ignoring God's will, but against God himself. The people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Listen to this next part. Against the Lord and against his anointed. The Old Testament documents this in every dispensation. Men conspiring with one another and their purpose is fixed and direct to resist God. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? Do you recall the Egyptian Pharaoh or the empires of Assyria and Babylon? Men who knew of God's existence and in some cases knew of God's plan, heard from God's prophets, yet they pursued a deliberate agenda to resist God, to take counsel together against the Lord. That's the scene in Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. In verse 3, the rebellious human leaders are quoted. What are they saying to each other? Let us break their bonds, the bonds of deity. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In many English translations, you may notice the pronouns referring to deity are in uppercase, there. That shows what context bears out. These men are having their meetings, making their plans, carrying out their vain plots directly against the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, against God. Against God, against everything about God, and everybody associated with God. Now, in the time of Christ, we observe a specific of this. In early efforts of Herod to find and kill Jesus, the Son of God, the Father. Then the Pharisees and scribes and chief priests, men so corrupted by their vain and arrogant thoughts and plans, they took counsel together against God, against the Messiah, against the Holy Spirit, and those moved by the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. These are men who punished the apostles and killed them and sought their own power. Therefore, the first scene in Psalms chapter 2 is one of humans plotting against deity, rebellion on earth, which found full expression in the history of Jesus Christ. Is there any doubt there are men and women today positioning themselves opposite God, 
who refuse to acknowledge Christ, and beyond that, set themselves against what is good and wholesome and fair, as revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so scene number one in Psalms chapter two is verses one, two, and three. And that scene is about men who set themselves against God. It is a picture of rebellion on earth. The second scene, God's response, verses four to six. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It is of tremendous encouragement to God's people to know while men on earth plot vain things against our God, God is not only not moved from his purpose, he who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. I think this means God is not worried about any threat against his claims and his power. God's plan was not defeated by the Tower of Babel. Pharaoh wasn't able to keep the descendants of Abraham in bondage. The Assyrians and Babylonians not only did not hinder God in any way, God used them for his purposes. And after Herod died, the family of Jesus came out of Egypt and settled in Nazareth. All these enemies tried to hinder God, work against him, and then to eliminate his anointed. All their schemes were defeated. They never had a chance against God. This divine laughter, let me speak of that. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. This is not laughter created by humor or pleasure. No, what this says is, God isn't pacing the floor of heaven worrying. He isn't moved by the threats of rebellious men and women. It is not maniacal laughter, not laughter resulting from humor. It is written here to strongly express that God isn't worried about the plans of these wicked people and corrupt governments. Not only do rebellious men on earth have no chance against God, God promises to respond to them according to their works. Verse 5, Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Those who rebel against God are doomed to suffer his wrath in the absence of their repentance. Notice the expression, his deep displeasure. In some translations, it is derision. Obedience pleases God. Disobedience and rebellion arouses his displeasure. God, in the dispensation before Christ came, often spoke his wrath to rebellious men and acted on his words. And let us carefully observe in verse 6 that though men rebelled against God and the Messiah, God's plans to enthrone Christ came to pass. He said, yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And that leads me to the third scene 
in verses 7 through 9, which is expressive of the throne of Christ. 7 through 9. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's verses 7 through 9. David speaks here, but he speaks prophetically, I think, on behalf of the one who would occupy the divine throne forever. We know God said to Christ, you are my son, today I have begotten you. We know God gave to Christ the rule, the throne, the nations for an inheritance and the ends of the earth for his possession. So we see Christ here ruling, using the rod of iron to break the rebellious and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In some Bibles, the second psalm is called or entitled a coronation psalm because it points to the ultimate coronation when God put Christ above all as king over his kingdom at his right hand, reflected in the promise made to David about one who would reign on the ultimate divine throne. The throne of David then forever occupied by Christ. So the resurrection of Christ from the dead is part of this, as written by Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel. We see Christ on his heavenly throne after being raised. Everything here points to the establishment of that kingdom that we are now citizens of if we've obeyed the gospel. This is more than just distinction conferred upon Christ. This goes beyond simple recognition or approval. All are subject to Christ. He reigns. He rules. He has obtained a more excellent name. Our only hope is to put our lives under his rule. The fourth scene is an invitation. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This may be where we got the expression, wise men obey him. Wise kings rule aware of God's sovereignty and Christ's authority. And in view of the power God holds eternally, the only hope for men on earth is serve the Lord with fear. There is here a curious use of the word kiss. That's a universal sign of affection, respect, relationship. It is regrettable the act of kissing has been over-romanticized and sexualized. In Acts chapter 20, you may remember brethren in Ephesus kissing Paul. Many other references, for instance, the holy kiss. Well, here in the second psalm, the imagery is designed to convey to us the strongest of affection, 
that people on earth should have for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the anointed of God. Blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, what should we get from all this? We've studied the second Psalm. What should we get from all this? One, God cannot be defeated. When we put ourselves at cross purposes with God, there can never be a good outcome. If, for instance, you know what God wants you to do, you are clear in your head about his instructions, but you pursue your own way against his will, you are putting yourself in a battle that you will never win. This psalm speaks clearly to the sovereignty of God. Number two, this psalm puts world leaders and empires on notice. They should not plan anything contrary to God's will. In time or at the end of time, God will answer those plans with his wrath. I don't mean this to sound political. I'm not talking about methods and policies we may think are not wise. I'm talking about men and regimes going directly against God's will. They cannot win or defeat God, though temporarily it may seem so. The extermination of innocent people, laws that run right against what God has said. Abortion is an example. This says the Lord holds them in derision. Number three, I think the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 2 will be the final judgment, the divine rod of iron dashing God's enemies in pieces. That will be decisive and complete in the end of time on earth. So verse 11 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Number four, the psalm identifies pagan traits for us to expose and for us to carefully avoid in our lives. Arrogance, greed for power, insensitive to human need, irreverence. A gospel preacher I know, Brother Brent Lewis, wrote this one time. Man is, for the most part, filled with pride and a desire for independence. He wants to go his own way, do his own thing. But in doing so, he finds himself at variance with God. He can persist and follow his own devices or humble himself by submitting to God. Men are more inclined toward the former than the latter. What we must come to realize is that to rebel against God and insist upon going our own way is a futile path. So, folks, don't worry. Those who array themselves against God may make it hard for us for a little while, but they will not win. Christ is the victor. Attach your life to him. Stay with him. Obey him. That is where we locate our hope. Thank you for listening.